Good morning and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. This is a, well, it's a special, I could even call it an emergency Saturday morning, early Saturday morning podcast, um, the the morning after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, for, for those of you who have been filling out your 2020 apocalypse bingo card, um, you're probably getting pretty full. If if you've been working on that scenario, the, the worst case scenario, what, what could possibly go wrong? I think you're going to have to go back to the drawing board. So we pulled together um, our senior staff of The Bulwark, uh, Jonathan Lass, Sarah Longwell, and Jim Swift, who joined me on this special podcast. So... Wow, uh, this changes everything, but we don't know how. So where, where are we going to start? Let's let's divide this into, if we can, and I think there's going to be some significant overlap. Number one, the big question is, what does this mean for the election? This is the early October surprise. Does this change the dynamic of the Biden-Trump election, the Senate elections? And then we'll get into the longer term consequences for the court and the constitution, what this is going to do to the political culture, because this is going to be, this is going to be nasty. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to avoid hype guys, but it is, it, it's hard to overstate how nasty this is going to be and how long term the consequences will be. Uh, Jonathan, you have a masterful piece in, in the, uh, in, in the bulwark today which I'm going to include in a special newsletter we're going to put out in a, in a few minutes. Um, but before we get to that, Sarah, you've been watching these polls and doing the focus groups. Tell me what your gut sense is on how this changes the short-term politics of the campaign. Yeah. So, um, you know, J.B. Allen and I have had this ongoing discussion on the secret podcast about what could happen, you know, because it looks like Trump, you know, almost had his path is so narrow and, and Joe Biden's lead is so steady. And one of the things that I always said was the one thing that could really change the dynamic of this race was if a Supreme Court seat came open. And the reason that I think this helps, and this is this is my this is where I land on this, is that this absolutely helps Donald Trump. And the reason is, is that the very voters that I talk to all the time, the people who have been very much on the fence or moving away from Trump over things like his handling of the pandemic, over the racial strife, over the fact that, you know, the economy isn't doing well, and they just think things are bad, right? We're we're wrong track all the way. These are the people who come home for Supreme Court fights. Um, and we saw that happen with Kavanaugh. And it not just, it reminds, it puts in everybody, look, this election was Joe Biden's because it was going to be about the coronavirus. And it was going to be about how Trump failed to handle the coronavirus. But now the election is about a Supreme Court seat. It is about something different. And that is how it fundamentally uh, changes the way people think about the team they're on, why they're casting the vote. Uh, and, and that's what I think is, uh, that's what I think has changed. Uh, okay. JVL, do you agree with that? Mm, yeah, yes and no. Uh, we don't know how this is going to play out. Uh, we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, Mitch McConnell has signaled that he wants to put a, uh, he wants to put a nominee through a vote. But that would require uh, three or four Republicans not defecting. They would have to keep a whole bunch of people. I think that's going to be a very, very hard poll for them. Uh, I mean, there is a different dynamic here, which is that it is a liberal seat, right? So it right. is not in the, the, I mean, the, right, the mania that, that happened with Republicans in 2016 was about, oh, my God, we're going to lose the Scalia seat. Right. And mm -hmm. this becomes a nice to have, not a must have. Uh, so it it may change things. It may not. I think it does help consolidate the the bringing Republicans home. But I've also always thought that that was going to happen. The question is, the question is not do Republicans come home? It's do 98 percent of Republicans come home or 95 percent of Republicans come home? Because, you know, that 3 percent is a lot of people. 
Okay, so my 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 take on this, and, and Jim, I'm going to get you to weigh in on this as 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 well. I I, I tweeted this out. I mean, I, I do think that there's some obvious political fallout, and I agree with 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 Sarah in in part. It's going to firm up the conservative base. It will provide them um, with uh, you know more motivation. I think that conservative base was pretty solid to begin with. It will give the anti-anti-Trumpers the cover that they have been yearning for. This gives them the excuse to vote for Trump that they have been desperately uh, reaching for. I don't know how many, you know, numbers there are. But I also think the possibility is out there that it will mobilize Democrats in a way that Joe Biden alone never could. If you, you know, if, if there was any question about what will the intensity of Democrats uh, and, and women voters be, um, and Quite frankly, I think in terms of I, I watched very closely the Republican suburban women, uh, you know, particularly upscale uh, suburban women, because this this is this is the election that will decide whether Roe versus Wade stays. Now, I've been a long term critic of Roe versus Wade, but last time I looked, guys, uh, this was like a 70 percent issue. And so, you know, things get really real here. So I am I am unclear right now. All of the implications of this, yes, uh, I agree it's going to firm up the conservative base. The people you've been talking to, Sarah, I think are going to come back. But I also think that, um, you know, if, uh, if if there was any sort of softness on uh, the Democrats' uh, enthusiasm level, which I'm not sure there was, being, wow, this, this, this cranks everything up. So, Jim, your take, your gut sense right now? Someone texted me last night and they said, you know, do you hold out any hope that Senate Republicans are going to abide by the rule that they 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 created in 2016 and i said 100% not everyone's going to cave amy coney barrett is going to get confirmed and more republican senators are going to lose because this is like the flight 93 election but like turning up the acceleration on the plane to make sure that it goes much faster into the ground okay so um you think they're going to ram it through before the election, but what will the consequence in the election be? So Sarah's thinking this is good news for Donald Trump. I'm, yeah, I'm not. And, I'm not. I'm not so sure. Well, so obviously, some of this depends on how it everything plays out and like how nasty it gets and which way it looks like things are going. I mean, but but the, the, for me, it's about the the macro dynamics that I see that it changes, which is this election was a referendum on Trump, and when it was a referendum on Trump. And it was about coronavirus. I mean, you even see, you know, when when we were starting to see the Kenosha riots, for example, the big debate was, well, doesn't this help Trump? And it wasn't necessarily uh, that so many voters were going to say, we're going to look at that and say, wow, now I love Trump's law and order message, et cetera. I mean, there was maybe a little bit of that. But the bigger thing that it was doing was it was changing the conversation to terrain that was better for Trump than it was when it was all about a referendum on Trump and his handling of the coronavirus. And that's what I think this changes. And I think it turns it into um, a much more sort of rank partisan um, dynamic, number one. Number two, when you talk about Democratic turnout around the courts, like, I just the the all the evidence shows that it is the kind of thing I, I can't remember the exact number, but when people were so um, you know they're trying to decide what to do in 2016, right? What brings conservatives home to Donald Trump in 2016? It was the fact that there were court seats up, and so I just uh, and I don't think I don't have the evidence to show me that Democrats value the court uh, from a turnout perspective the way that Republicans do. And frankly, the Democrats had the enthusiasm on their side, not necessarily anyway. for Joe Biden, but against Donald Trump. And now Republicans have enthusiasm on their side because they want that court seat. I guess the question, though, is and I'm somewhat skeptical about this, is are there enough of them? So, yes, you, you had this massive, uh, you know, rallying around Donald Trump back in 2016 over the courts. Uh, but he's still in, in a state like Wisconsin. He got less votes than Mitt Romney. Uh, Mitt Romney got. So let, let's let's. I, I, I want to just shift to what's going to happen here. Oh, by the way, what what is really interesting to me is how quickly the focus um, sh shifted, especially in Trump world, to what is this court going to look like if there's a challenge to the election? So if you, if you want to talk about worst case scenarios, um, you know, from Trump's point of view, 
you've gone from a court that probably wouldn't go out of its way to uh, uphold any of his challenges to the legitimacy of the election to now, at worst, from their point of view, a 4-4 split, which would mean the lower courts would be upheld, to the potential of a 5-3 conservative majority. Right. I mean, so, I mean, you, you want to talk, you want to, you want to talk about the alignment of the planets and the, and the, uh, and the sweet meteor of death. Uh, you, you not only have this fight, you have the election, which is going to be a mess. And then you have a Supreme Court that uh, might have been stacked in this particular way. So, JVL, I want to get to your piece here because, I mean, the smart play, this really the smart play, isn't it? For, for Trump to announce who he would choose if he was reelected. And then he makes the election into a referendum on the Supreme Court. But the visceral red meat play is for him to go to ramming speed. I'm assuming he's going to go to ramming speed. But let's talk about the options. Yeah, I think that that's right. The way that this helps him is if this is a live issue going into the election. I, 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 I agree with Sarah on that. I think that if he if he goes and gets the nominee through, then I, I just don't know that that helps him as much. The urgency for Republicans to reelect him—they you know, got what they wanted. They got their their twenty pieces of silver, and uh, from the left, they are pushed to DEFCON one. We have to to stop this. We've got to go do something about the Supreme Court, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think the smart play for for Trump would be to say, "Look, this is who I'm going to nominate if you elect me," and. Uh, and he could always tell Mitch and, you know, Moscow, Mitch and the, the rest of them, hey, guys, don't worry. If I lose, we'll just do this after the election and before the right. inauguration. Right. I mean, he could tell them, don't worry, don't worry, sit on your powder. Um, but it, it is important to understand that the only reason this is a political crisis is because of what the Senate Republicans did with Merrick Garland. Had had Merrick Garland been confirmed, then I don't think there would be much more than the usual amount of urgency about this, which is to say that uh, the left would be very unhappy and they would think that it was a terribly bad break. And so they'd grumble about it and make some demonstration over trying to stop Trump from making an appointment because we are only, what, you know, 45 or 54 days from the from the election. But there wouldn't be the sense of like, holy crap, this is this is super duper unfair because what we're going to wind up having is essentially the Republicans looking like they stole two seats. And that's, it is one thing to steal two seats. It is another thing to steal two seats when you have gotten a majority vote from the American people at the presidential level once in the last 20 years. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the, 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 all of this is about legitimacy and what you're seeing from the anti anti Trumper types and all the conservatives coming home is, Oh, Hey, this is, you know, this is just the way it works when you, when you have 50 plus one, you know, you can do whatever you want. And that's true right up until the point where some large percentage of the country decides that nothing is working anymore because the basic fairness in the political system doesn't hold because everything once everybody agrees that everything is a flight 93 election then you're just in incredibly dangerous territory well that's right and, and and that's and that's where you get the backlash and the radicalization of the democrats and the left on this um is 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 predictable yeah, I, I, honestly, what, what are you going to yeah. what are you going to say to the left if mm -hmm. let's let's pretend they ram through uh, and they get a nominee on the court? What are you going to say to the left when the next time they get unified control of government, they decide, you know what, we're going to start making some changes to the Supreme Court? What is the argument against that? Right. I mean, you, you could make a prudential argument like, hey, this is really bad. Don't do it because it, this is the next step towards banana republic. But as a political fairness argument, there's, there's just nothing to say about it. Yeah, I mean, but all, one of the things one of the things we're learning, of course, is that all arguments that have no real principle. It's just simply a matter of you know who wins, who loses. I'm sorry, Jim. Go ahead. Oh no, no worries. Uh, you know, my 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 brother-in-law uh, sent me this this uh, scenario last night, and I I had to admit to him uh, that I did not consider this scenario about how Donald Trump can politicize uh, violating the Biden rule. Donald Trump can say, hey, I, I will nominate Merrick Garland, but you have to promise Joe Biden that you will not pack the Supreme Court. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, 
But but you know, but it was all but also interesting. Jonathan talked about keeping his powder dry. Here's what Mitch McConnell said in a a leaked letter to to Senate Republican colleagues. In the coming days, we're all going to come under tremendous pressure from the press to announce how we will handle the coming nomination. For those of you who are unsure how to answer, or for those of you inclined to impose giving a nominee a vote, I urge you to keep your powder dry. This is not the time to prematurely lock yourselves into a position you may later regret, which also goes to your point, Charlie, about what happens if Trump loses. And then they say, fuck it, we'll do it anyway. Well, that's it. I mean, and, and we are looking at these four senators. You know, they, they need the four senators and a lot of speculation. Murkowski's pretty clear that she's not going to go ahead with this. Collins um, has said she's not going to go ahead with this. Uh, who else has said this? Romney, I, I don't really know where Romney is right now. You kind of assume that he wouldn't go along with this. Uh, but but, but I, I think that every comment that everyone's ever made in the past becomes non-operative. Could we just play the Lindsey Graham thing? Because I know Sarah tweeted this out last night. I mean, there, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a wealth of these Lindsey Graham quotes. Let's just play Lindsey Graham. This is from 2018. Judge Scalia dies in 2016. The primary process is ongoing. And if you look back in 100 years, nobody has been replaced under that circumstance. If you listen to what Joe Biden said in Bush 41, you should hold it over to the next election. Joe is right a lot. So I felt like I was doing the traditional thing there when it came to uh, Sotomayor and Kagan. I thought I did the traditional thing. Now, I'll tell you this. This may make you feel better, but I really don't care. If an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process is started, we'll wait to the next election. And I've got a pretty good chance of being the judiciary. You're on the record. Yeah. All right. Hold the tape. North Korea. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, a ch- chance that, that, that Lindsay will be consistent on that would be on a scale of 1 to 100. <laughs> yeah, zero. Um, and, and, and the thing is, because the, the way that the Republicans will handle this is to, you know, say something like, uh, well, but uh, if the sky is pink on a Tuesday, then now there's a good rationale for why in this particular scenario, it makes sense for us to do this. And I'll tell you, I just want to go, go back and maybe, I'm not sure if it's disagree with JVL, but just present an alternative scenario about why Trump may do something different, which is, of course, one of the other big debates we've been having this entire time is what happened if we what happens if we get a close and contested election? Yeah. Right? So this is like the worst case scenario just got scary because one of Trump's incentives will be to have a Supreme Court Yes. Uh, that is very much on his side going into the election. Like he does have an incentive to jam this through. Like I agree that there are political incentives to dangle it for him. That is true. But there are also incentives for him to say, I don't know, uh, this, you know, things are looking tight. And if um, we've got all these mail-in ballots and I'm going to, my whole, my whole case is to undermine the legitimacy of this election. So ultimately, if the people who are going to decide the legitimacy of it, if it's close, is this Supreme Court, I want to have as many of my people on there as possible. Well, he may want that, but of course, you know, that the the question is, is whether Mitch McConnell is going to put these, these senators, you know, in that position before the election, JVL. Yeah, I I think that cocaine Mitch will will make them vote. I mean, I, I, I my my view is that yeah, I th- I think mm-hmm. that he will he will believe that uh, his his majority is almost certainly gone anyway. So this is his swan song to get something. And if he's got four Republicans saying no, we're not going to do this, he's going to make them actually not do it. And it, whether this makes their reelect chances better or worse doesn't matter to him because in his calculus, his majority is probably gone anyway. And so this is it. This is last ride. JBL, here, here, here's a uh, thing about, you know, to your point and to Mitch McConnell's point about keeping your powder dry. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in November. Uh, I think there's going to be dangling. But do you know what happens in January of 2021? We have two Senate seats in Georgia. Special elections. That's why he wants people to keep the powder dry, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So, but let, let, let's just go. Let, I'm going to step back here because you know, JBL, your your piece lays out the three options here. You know, will you know will they will they attempt to ram it through before the voters render the verdict? That's number one. Number two, wait until after the election, but then before January 20th, lame duck vote. Or would he abide by rationales, uh, you know, that they used in Merrick Garland, allow the next president in the Senate to attend to this matter? We pretty much know that they're not going to do number three. But you have a line in your piece that really jumps out. And I want you to talk about it. You write, if Trump and Republicans replace Ginsburg, it will destroy the remaining public legitimacy of the Supreme Court full stop. Yeah, I mean, the, so the, the Supreme Court is the last of our three branches of government that retains wide legitimacy among the public. And when you look at polling data, people say, you know, is the Supreme Court okay? And it's the level of trust is not there that it was 40 years ago. And largely, this is a legacy of what the Senate has done with confirmation hearings beginning with Robert Bork in, was it 86 or 87? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And things have gotten increasingly nasty since then. Uh, but it's still something, right? And this yeah. is why if you have to have a Supreme Court doing something like deciding the, the outcome of an election, it's really, really important that people basically are okay with the court, right? Uh, I mean, if if we wind up with a packed court here with a Trump nominee rammed through and they're the ones deciding on Trump v. Biden, you know, as to whether or not uh, which slate of electors from the state of wow. Wisconsin, you know, are going to this is the right. Well, this is like the worst case so many scenario with hair on it. I mean, it's going right on. where you get two slates of electors showing up and one from the, you know, put together by the the Republican legislature in Wisconsin and the other put together by the governor. And, you know, one relies on counting of absentee ballots and the other does not. I mean, this is banana republic territory. This is the type of thing you see in failed states. And I I just, for the same, you know, it, this is the flip side of something. So I, I have been writing for the last couple of weeks about the question of whether or not, you and I talked about this on the, on the yeah. show yesterday, whether or not you prosecute Trump uh, after, right. after this. And I, I am pretty solidly on the no, you don't. Because yes, the rule of law is important, but also legit, popular legitimacy is important. And like we're really getting close to a danger point in this country and you got to bring the temperature down. And so for the same prudential reasons why I think it would be crazy to prosecute the Trump family uh, by the federal government after the Trump family leaves, I think it would be crazy for Republicans to try to ram this through it again, all because of what had just happened with Merrick Garland four years ago. Okay, so that's the linchpin of all of this. Th this is the distinction that I found very interesting in your piece. You, you talk about the ramming it through before the election, and you talk about how you know this obviously would deeply politicize the court um, in in a, in a way that people like John Roberts have been really really resisting. But then you write, but this politicization will be as nothing, absolutely nothing compared to what would happen if Ginsburg is replaced before, I'm sorry, is would happen is replaced um, before November 3rd. Okay. So that's, I mean, obviously that's huge, but then you, you, you write, I'm sorry, I'm now I'm reading it backwards here, but it's even worse um, if they try to do it during the lame duck session. If they're defeated in the election, but then try to replace Ginsburg before leaving office, the political retribution would be incalculable. Yeah, and because that is, that yeah. would be the that's the equivalent of as the army is retreating, they burn everything. Right. I mean, that is salting the earth as you as you retreat. And it's the type of thing that I just don't know when you're dealing with an institution like the court where people are there for life or, you know, or as long as they want to, I just don't know how you climb back down from that as a polity. Do you, I mean, can, can you guys, no, no I, I, I don't. I, and I, and I agree with this because when you talk about the political retribution, you know, what's going to happen is the Democrat. Look, if you and I would have talked about this last week, all, all four of us, we would have talked about this. Will the Democrats pack these, the Supreme court? I would have rolled my eyes and said, no, okay. There's going to be a lot of talk about that. They're not going to abolish the filibuster. That's not going to happen. And they're not going to pack the court, but you can see the radicalization of the Democrats uh, beginning already with the prospect of this, you move the Overton window of what's acceptable. You do something like that. They would see it as, you know, the lame duck thing. The outrage would be, as you point out, the powder keg would explode. 
and all bets are off. So, you know, this is part of the problem of, you know, let's, you know, pedal to the metal. Let's win whenever we can, because there will be a reaction to this. And I would have, I would have bet a great deal of money against court packing before this, but if they did that, all bets are off. Do you agree, Sarah? I mean, I, your sense? Yeah, I agree that sort of all bets are off in general. I mean, at that at that point, if we if we go down this road, and this is why this is such a frightening moment, I think it's why we all feel sort of sick to our stomach by seeing this. I mean, last night, right? I, I just I I put my kids to bed and I came downstairs and I tragically opened Twitter and I saw Jake Tapper, you know, saying that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died, and I was I was I I, I was first incredibly sad. Um, because I think, uh, you know, I, I admire Justice Ginsburg the way a lot of people do. Um, and and while I may disagree with with uh, her politically on a number of things, I just think she was like a phenomenal person, and she was such a a delight. And I always took I always took such a I just loved her relationship with Scalia. It's like the kind of thing that makes me feel good about America, right? It's the best of us. It's the it's the best of the way that we transcend uh, as Americans the political and ideological divides um, for something bigger. But I immediately, as I thought about, you know, I was like, oh, this is so sad. And then I, but I immediately thought, this is about to get so ugly and nasty, and and we're already hanging by a thread. In some ways, and I even just go back to what I said about Lindsey Graham when you played that clip. clip that there's a zero percent chance. I, I'm going to revise that because there's this there's this other part of me that just like the cynical part of me is like, no way these guys do this, right? They're going to come up for some rationale. But what yeah. if, what if it's possible that there are still enough Republicans who see the road we're potentially going down, and and say, I mean, this is a moment. And obviously, look, I'm Charlie Brown with the football with these guys, and I thought that people were going to do the right thing around impeachment. And so maybe there's no chance, but it's possible, I guess, that they could just see that dark scenario that you guys just played out and 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 want to avoid it as Americans. Was yeah, think Will Hurd is going to counsel them, Sarah. I think Will Hurd is going to going to come out and speak out and say, "Hey, my my fellow Republicans in the Senate, you know, the prudential thing here is to really not. <laughs> no, this is not who they are." What about a guy like a Lamar Alexander, maybe even a Chuck Grassley on the way out, concerned about institutional? Yeah, the institutionalists. Uh, the institutionalists. And I could see that more. I could see that in the lame duck session. This, this is not the last vote they want to cast. But on the other hand, it's impossible for, for our center-left listeners to overstate the significance of a conservative Supreme Court. And, and for many of them, this would justify, right? This this would justify all of their compromises with Donald Trump. If they could ride off into the sunset with a permanent conservative majority in the Supreme Court, they would say, yeah, it was painful, but it was worth it. I mean, and that's that's the other countervailing thing. Which which of those will be stronger? Well, I you know, I don't know. This is Nothing is actually permanent, though. This is this is the problem. Our our Nothing politics has one of the reasons everything has gotten so screwed up is that everybody has decided that whatever we do right now is the last thing. There is no sense of well, you know, you got to worry about the the future here because ten years from now the other side may be in charge, and you know, you would like you don't want to have strict majoritarian rule where anybody who has a one vote majority can enact any any damn thing they want, right? That's the whole constitution is set up to prevent that sort of thing. This is why we have checks and balances, and I, I the sense that the degree to which nobody thinks past tomorrow is really, really dangerous. Uh, and I just, you know, you also have to understand that this confirmation process, if it goes through, will be even just because of the things that someone like Josh Hawley has said, where he, you know, Josh Hawley said he won't vote for a nominee who doesn't explicitly say that they're going to vote to overturn Roe. Interesting. So everything will be cranked up to 11 anyway. And I... I don't know. You see, that's where you're wrong, you see, because it would be cranked up to 11, except that it's 2020, so it'll be cranked up to 13 or 14. Roe versus Wade, this has always struck me, and see what you guys think, that, that, look, conservatives have been, you know, pushing to overturn Roe v. Wade for, what, you know, for decades now, but it's always a little bit like the dog chasing the car. The dog does not actually want to chase the car, 
right? He doesn't you, want to catch the car. I'm, I'm so that's right. I'm so the dog does not want to see it's early in the morning, and we, we none of us <laughs> none of us got a good night's sleep, and who knows what else was going on. So uh, yeah, the dog does not want to catch catch the car. I mean, you, you know, Sarah, you know, I mean, in terms of I've never seen a survey in which. Um, a majority of Americans want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. I mean, you want to you want to talk about a a counter revolution. Now, look, I am pro life. I have always been pro life. But one of the things that I've argued, and I know JBL, you've made the same same case, is that you know this is a we have to win this in the culture. We have to win this with hearts and minds. Um, and uh, there's 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 something really I think uh, counterproductive in you know latching the culture of life to someone like Donald Trump. But, but Sarah, I mean, if, if this is about, if this is about Roe versus Wade, what impact does that have on the election? I mean, that's a 70% issue, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, I guess I, I guess it, it, when it comes to these suburban women, um, the college educated suburban women that Donald Trump has been losing, it is true. I'm not sure that that issue is the one that animates them. Really? Um, like, or, or, well, oh, sorry, but but it, I'm not sure that they're not they're not they're not going to vote. They're not going to get excited about the court because they want Roe v. Wade overturned. Is my point right? They are, um, it, and it depends. I mean, it depends. These are different types of women. For evangelical women, it's a there's a big cultural difference than kind of your average, um, you know, I don't know, lay Christian. Um, suburban suburban women who probably is uh you know for some compromise-ish thing on abortion you know oh well i'm for it for the first term you know they're much more nuanced about it and they wouldn't want to see it overturned completely i just so i guess i'm not i guess i i don't i don't have a fixed perspective on this um yeah go ahead okay so uh a lot of buzz about amy coney barrett you you guys think she's 48 years old She's um, very, very strongly pro-life. Um, the conventional wisdom is that it's going to be her. What do you guys think? She's so it will, great. It hmm? will absolutely be her. It will absolutely. Okay. Yep. Laying okay. down a marker. Okay. Why? Uh, well, one, she's a Notre Dame grad, and uh, Trump will find any synergy to, to promote uh, college football and Notre Dame and Catholics and religion and abortion. Um, but you know, she was, you know, the next woman up after, uh, after Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and that's, and that's who the, the only people who, uh, kind of waffled on Kavanaugh said, well, you know, if you have to pull Kavanaugh, you have to do her. So that's what Trump's going to do because that's how Trump works. It works on so many different levels, right? I mean, she's, she's pro-life, she's Catholic. Um, she can play those cards. She's a woman. So obviously she becomes a very different target than Brett Kavanaugh. So what do you think, JVL? Is it going to be Amy Coney Barrett? Uh, I think she's the smart play. Uh, I love Amy Coney Barrett. I think she's great. Uh, I would have loved to have seen her on the court instead of Brett Kavanaugh. I would love to see her on the court, period. Uh, I... I I would be nervous for her to take the nomination under these circumstances, though, because it has the capacity to destroy her life. Um, And this is why, you know, the perfect answer would be for for Trump to say, look, this is who I will nominate if you reelect me. Right. I mean, this is. So I I don't know. Senator, Senator Jonathan Last, does he vote yes on Amy Coney Barrett? Right now, like on on November two, no, yeah. Senator Jonathan Last would not. Senator Jonathan Last would say, uh, "Look, if she's the nominee on January twenty one, then I will vote for her enthusiastically." Okay, so and there's a lot of reasons to think that she's the front runner. Jonathan Swan is is reported back last May, May of two thousand nineteen, that that during all the deliberations over the Kennedy vacancy, Trump. Uh, told confidants that uh, I'm saving her for Ginsburg, so she she's the she is the overwhelming favorite. So um, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Uh, she's an attractive candidate. I mean, and I'm not I'm not judging her by her looks, but she's an attractive candidate on a lot of different levels. There is a danger for Democrats in overplaying their hand. I mean, they have to be firm in their position. 
But, you know, especially during Kavanaugh, I, I, I think you, you saw the potential for over-the-top hysteria uh, that could backfire on them. I mean, you could have the, you know, pink hat brigades become a real foil that the Trump could exploit. Here's a question for you, yeah. Charlie. Do you think the Democrats should participate in the process? How do they not? Uh, I, I would have to think through the actual mechanics of it. But instead of contesting on ideological grounds or anything like that, I would think that the smart Democratic play would be to contest on purely legitimacy grounds. That yeah. this oh, we should you. not be having this conversation. We can have this conversation. We we respect. Uh, In other words, not attack her. Judge just Barrett on the process. Exactly. Exactly. Because that is the that is the place where I think the most political upside is for them. Yeah, the, the 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 temptation will be for various groups and people in the you know the, the usual suspects to try to smear her in some way, I, right? Or to I, make I this about to, abortion or something like that. Or make I it would about make this her, yeah, purely about this is the same thing as the Ukraine stuff, right? This is an illegitimate nomination from Republicans okay. who are trying to steal power, and you know we are happy to have a conversation about Amy Coney Barrett. Should Donald Trump be reelected? And uh, and if Donald Trump is defeated, uh, President Biden's going to have his own nominee. All right, Sarah. Well, let, let, let's walk okay, through right. that. Let's just walk like briefly. Let's walk through that. Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell make the decision to nominate Amy Coney Barrett. And uh, the Democrats just say, we're not going to play ball. We're not going to go to any of the confirmation hearings on the Judiciary oh, Committee. That would look terrible. Well, are you sure? Yeah, that would look terrible. Why? Because it it looks like they're they're you know holding their ball and and sucking their thumb in their corner they're sulking they're enforcing the Biden rule yeah but they got to show up you you can enforce the Biden rule by by at least making the case that Jonathan was just talking about yeah yes and no but if 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 they don't show up and Republicans push through a Supreme Court nominee with none of none of it I mean do do you really think that that is like helpful to Trump or, I mean, depending on when they do it, whether no, it's, I think it's just or the election life. or... Sarah, I, look, I, look it, the, the, the eyes of the country are going to be on these hearings, and this is one of the things in politics you just need to do. You need to show the fuck up. Sarah. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you, Charlie. <laughs> I, I, I think that they can't, because the, the thing is, what works against Democrats is the notion that they're unserious, um, you know, and that... Uh, I just I think back to the Kavanaugh hearings and how much uh, conservatives rallied around each other, how Lindsey Graham became a folk hero during those moments, uh, fighting Democrats, you know, grabs for power. And the thing is, is just like there's all these Republicans on the record about how we absolutely had to hold that seat open. Every Democrat's on the record from that time saying, no, Barack Obama's the president. He gets to do this. And so there will be this kind of whataboutism on both sides. Well, except that we made a choice. I mean, the, the, you know, the, that's true. That I, I agree with theoretical you. world where you haven't actually proceeded down one of those two paths. But the point is, you just have to like we, you know, it is a perfectly rational thing to say the president gets to decide. But we did. We decided not to let the president decide. And so you sort of have to hold one. I just, I, I am very interested to see what the polling is going to look like on this with the basic fairness question. Well, I think that's important. And I think that, look, I mean, I, I think it would be a mistake for them to go after her the way they went after Kavanaugh. I mean, I'm looking at um, some just background stuff here. I mean, she's a former assistant U.S. attorney for Northern District of Indiana. So she's got prosecutorial background, uh, lives in South Bend. She, she and her husband have seven children. Five biological children, two children adopted from Haiti. Her youngest biological child has special needs. Um, I don't think the Democrats would be wise to try to turn this woman into a pinata. One of the things that really supercharged the Kavanaugh hearings, if you all, we all remember that that trauma, was the the unfortunate willingness of the Democrats, I think, to be very credulous about uh, unfounded allegations against Kavanaugh. And one of the real turning points, I think, was here's a name from your past, Michael Avenatti. Remember when he came up with a completely bogus fake uh, allegation uh, right at the last minute and 
at that point, what happened was that, that I think everybody kind of rolled their eyes and go, okay, here's the smear fest. I'm not going to relitigate every detail of all of this, but I, I think it would be a mistake to go after her. But I do think that, that Jonathan's point about going after the process, going after the fairness, and obviously we're going to be debating Roe versus Wade. Um, but th there's, there, there are real dangers for both sides on this one. I mean, I, I, the downside for Trump trying to ram this through before the election uh, downside for Democrats who, who everyone, look, we've, we've all been doing this, trying to tell Democrats over the last couple of years, don't go crazy. Do, do not sound crazy. But I think part of the problem is they don't sometimes know how they sound to the voters who will actually determine the outcome of this election. Sarah, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do know what you're talking <laughs> about. And I, I think that's exactly right. I think that, look, the whole, the, 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 the argument that has seemed to seep in the most against Joe Biden when I talk to these voters who are on the fence is the idea that he'll be sort of controlled by the far left. And I think that part of this, the problem here, right, is it takes the emphasis, like, you had a, a, a mano a mano of, of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, which was very favorable towards Joe Biden. But here you end up changing it now and putting on a pedestal, you know, every grandstanding Democrat who's going to want to rail against this. And I, I just I do think that that's not as good a dynamic for them because they tend to overplay their hands, even even though I'm sitting here oh, saying they're no. in the right position. But they absolutely do often overplay their hands. And we do live in a in a somewhat center right country, I think some people would dispute that, but I think that that's true. Um, and so this I, is going to elevate the most the shrill, the, some of the most shrill voices at a time when you want the the face to be Joe Biden, who who was actually really getting yeah. his sea legs under him in just the last uh, forty eight hours. Um, Can somebody tell me what happens with Kamala Harris here? Oh, you tell me what happens to Kamala Harris, uh, Jonathan. She's on the Judiciary Committee, and by the way, the which judiciary. is why she's going to show up. I mean, look, yeah, Kamala sure. Harris is not going to not show up. That's that's true. So Kamala Harris is going to be pulled off the campaign trail and stuck in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, here's here's my question for you, Sarah. What if you were the quarterback of Team Donkey? What would you tell them to do? How would you tell them to manage this moment? So one, uh, I would be trying to figure out how to use the courts to mobiliza massive mobilization effort. I would also be saying, you know, this is this changes the entire race in terms of like, what are you saying to donors? Like, what is, you know, everybody now has to, this isn't pull out all the stops, focus on turnout. Um, but the other thing is I would have them going after, look, Mitch McConnell, uh, do not go after Amy Comey, Comey Barrett. Go right. after Mitch McConnell. Like, yeah. he is your bad guy. Use him as massive mobilization. Put as much pressure on him as you can around what he did last time. You have to win. And I, I'm telling you, it, this is in the next 72 hours. Uh, this is just getting started. But, like, they have got to, in the next 72 hours, remind every American about what he said and what he did last time and try to appeal to their notions of basic fairness. Because I, I, we've seen no polling, I've had no focus groups. I'm not, I'm not sure how this lands, but I do think that a lot of Americans are fair-minded, right? Like the people in Washington will be pure power play, constitutional hardball types, but average American voters, I don't know. I think you can win them to some degree on these fairness arguments. Uh, let, let's not misunderestimate the degree to which the Trump campaign and the Death Star is going to, to Charlie and JBL's point. Uh, use the fact that Kamala Harris is an incumbent senator on the Judiciary Committee and uh, saying, you know, she has to recuse herself to try and take her vote away. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Um, and th that's why Mitch McConnell's telling everyone, hey, don't say anything you'll you'll regret. You know, like, don't don't go out. Don't go out and go crazy. Martha McSally, she's going to lose. You know, Joni Ernst probably going to lose. Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know about Ernst, but Gardner's probably going to lose. Collins is probably going to lose. Collins, but but Kamala Harris, she is Corey a vice Garden. presidential nominee. She's the Paul Ryan of 2020, and she has a say in when whatever happens. And if uh, if we don't think that Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell aren't going to leverage that to the hilt. Uh, you know, like sure, it's a guy, but it, it, it it's not. They'll pound on her, but it's a great opportunity for her as well, uh, because she's kind of been, you know, a little bit, a little bit eclipsed. And I think the danger is that you know 
Kamala Harris is is quite she can be kind of a star in these meetings, right? Yeah. So she will feel this incentive to be. And I don't. It, this will be it's her not, moment. It's, it's not fair to say that she'll end, she could she could overplay her hand in a grandstanding yeah. kind of way. Like it becomes a very she will have a spotlight on her, which is yep. another thing that just again macro politics wise I think is bad because it is better for this race to be about Joe Biden as the safe choice against this maniac Donald Trump than to make it about the vice president vice presidential candidates. She is a good she was a good choice for Biden in a in an, the environment that we were in. Uh, if if the spotlight is on her now in a way where she is highlighted all the time, I don't think that is as good for him with swing voters. So here's here's a, a just another macro politics question for you, Sarah. Does this change the nature of the election just as a voting mechanics thing yeah. from trying to get swing voters to pure base turnout? Yeah. So this is what yeah. I've been thinking about, right? So so here's because this is for me, so on in a different hat, right? I am a practitioner. I'm trying to uh persuade through Republican voters against Trump. I've been trying to persuade uh these soft Trump supporters to cross over and vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. And the environment that we were in was very fertile for that, very conducive for that, because people were deeply frustrated with Trump and 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 Trump specifically and the way that he was handling things. And I think that. I don't know what percentage, going back to this suburban women question, I think there's sort of a fracturing that occurs to some degree because some evangelical women probably do go home over the abortion issue, whereas maybe it drives a bunch of more of these suburban women away. Like, hmm. I'm not quite sure how that breaks right. down. Okay, but but just it, from an environmental standpoint now, the Dems, to the extent that it, it gives them some, like their leverage point now is all about mobilization, excitement, trying to get people out. Uh, and I think that m- the thing that I've been trying to do suddenly becomes much harder. Like my right. the people who were really soft from the environment, the environment's now changed and they're going to harden up in different ways. I think that's I think that's true. Um, but in the, and again, you, your, your perspective has been you spent a lot of time talking to these soft Trump voters. OK, and I and I agree with you on all of that. But let's just shift because I'm I'm watching what's happening um, on sort of to the center left. And there's 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 a lot of I, I don't want to use the word panic because that that's that's more negative. But the degree of engagement um, and 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 focus on the left don't underestimate that. I mean, you know, that's that may not be our core audience, um, but the the left is very much fired. I would love to see what the fundraising numbers are over the next forty eight hours, the next uh, next few weeks. So, you, the JVL's question was: Have we moved from persuasion of swing voters to to base turnout? My sense is that, and again, we don't know. Okay, so this is just 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 we we don't know. But I think there's a real possibility of that, that like, say here in the state of in the state of Wisconsin, to the extent that there were some of these squishy people in the wow counties, maybe they're going to go with with Trump. But in Wisconsin, the, the all of the question is, you know, if you bring out 100 percent of both bases, the Democrats, I think, are likely to win. So just at a sheer number. So what were the barriers for them to turn out their full base to get everyone out there to uh, to to energize uh, particularly you know women voters to get african american voters to come out this may be it this may be one of the issues so um i i just i just don't know at this point i agree with sarah on the on the on the firming up the base and how it's going to become much much harder but uh don't underestimate the the power of this, you know, particularly among suburban women. I don't think this changes the dynamic of the election of the suburbs going, you know, going increasingly, uh, going increasingly blue. But you know what, guys, we just don't freaking know, do we? No, no. I think if there's one thing you can tell from this podcast, it's that we're all trying to think through what just happened and the implications it could have. And it's going to become much more clear over the next 72 hours. I I think think that the one thing you know is that that it's a big shift, that that the dynamics have changed. See, I think you're the most freaked out about the election. I'm uh, I'm I'm the least of the four of us who's freaked out about the election. But I think that Jonathan and I are the most freaked out about the long term implications of this. OK, let's yeah. go around. Let's go around the table here. OK, will they push this through before the election? JVL. I think I I think that the most likely outcome here is that a small group of Republican senators 
prevent them from doing it. And okay. so we get a, an intra-caucus showdown that will play out in public, and maybe they'll be forced to vote on it. I don't know. But we'll, we will have a nominee. There will be an attempt to start a nomination process. And I think the most likely outcome is that you get four Republican defectors yeah. who prevent it from happening. Before the election. Okay, before Jim, the election. before the election or not? Uh, 100%. They will have a nominee, and they will have a vote on it. And whoever that nominee is going to get confirmed before, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to say before the election, but before the inauguration. No, 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 no. That, that, that's not the question is before the election. OK, before the election, uh, I'd say it's it's 50 50. OK, Sarah, before the election or not? No, I think that I, I agree with um, JVL that they will uh, have trouble whipping uh, everybody into submission to do it before. However, the re- and, but also you have Trump, right? And Trump it sort of depends on where his incentives really come down. But I suspect that he will think it is best for him. The, where, the place where they have the most flexibility is to hold it out uh, as a as a as a thing that he dangles to try to mobilize people in his favor and solidify the right. And then if he loses, he does still have the option of the lame duck jam through. And so that gives them the most options. And so that's what I think they'll do. Yeah. Well, that that's the rational thing. And I, and I think that that that's probably the smartest play, but um, what I'm seeing on the, the, the Trumpist right is they're pushing for, you know, ramming speed, do it right now. I mean, while you have the majority, while you have the presidency and Trump's mode is generally not to buck his uh, to buck his, uh, his his base here. So you have the smart versus the red meat. I think he's going to go with the red meat. But ultimately, uh, I'm going to come down where JVL is on this one. I, I don't think they're going to get it done before the election. That's just too messy. It's just too rushed. There's too much other things going on. Um, but that creates the, and I also agree with Jonathan on this, that creates the worst case scenario of the possibility of trying to ram it through in a lame duck session after they've been defeated. But um, we will see 2020. It just keeps getting better and better. So Jonathan Last, Sarah Longwell, Jim Swift, Thanks for coming in early on a Saturday morning for an emergency weekend <laughs> bulwark podcast. You got it, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. And, and thank you. All, and thank you all for listening uh, this this weekend. We will be back on Monday and we'll do well, we'll do this all over again.